0: Our scripture today comes from the wisdom literature written by Solomon, uh, King David's son, uh, known as Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 1. Let's share in God's good word together. Everything's boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. What was will be again, what happened will happen again. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday, and the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, reactive depression is a real thing. After we push out a lot of adrenaline, preaching or performing, taking a test, having a tough talk or coaching session, after enjoying a thrilling sporting event, what comes next? It's a letdown. Your cortisol levels increase and your productivity decreases and you feel, well, empty. You need a nap, but life doesn't always afford you what you need. Interestingly to me, the emptiness that so many people experience in life is more intense in success than it is in failure. When you fail, you have nowhere to go but up. But when you are up, well, you know the only way is to go down. And you start to dread when the other shoe will drop. Good times can only last so long, they say, don't get used to it. The voices of caution in your head become anxiety demanding your attention. You know how this goes. Once I get to a certain place or achieve a certain thing, then I'll be happy and whole. And then you graduate. And then you get a job. You graduate again. You get a raise. You get married. You have a child. Maybe you have another child. And those children get braces. When was that joy and wholeness supposed to kick in again exactly? Well, friends, I have graduated now four times. And the last time I graduated, they told me I had a, quote, terminal degree. Now, doesn't that sound uplifting? My degree was terminal. There was no place to go. And when you reach even your highest goal, if you're not connected to something greater than yourself, do you know what you feel? Empty. That's right. Empty. But don't worry, friends. God has a better plan for you, for all of us. We are a people who are holding on to hope, overcoming life's unexpected challenges. That's what our sermon series has been all about during Lent. And today, we are going to overcome emptiness that can come at us when we least expect it. But before we get to that, I want to share with you how we got to this point over the last five weeks. Um, This season of Lent, we are holding on to hope together. So as a way of introduction, really what we've been talking about All this Lent is this, that our life is a gift from God, and who we become in this life is our gift back to God and to those around us. In week one, we looked at overcoming cynicism. The more you know, the more you hurt. That's exactly what Solomon wrote in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. He says this, much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt. And at this stage in my life, with our kids pretty much raised and grown and out of the house, um, I've learned this to be true. At 53, I know a lot of stuff, and some of it can be really painful. You can almost see what's coming, and if you're not careful, your, your heart will start to close and to become hard, and you won't really have the joy that you used to have. But here's the good news, friends. Your past is not your future if Jesus is involved, because we have a God of resurrection. We are an Easter people, and so if Jesus is involved in your life, you don't have to worry You can have a new life, and your past doesn't have to control your future any longer. In the second week of Lent, we looked at overcoming temptation. Um, Jesus overcame temptation in the wilderness, of course, and you can too. So the way we do it is that we put your character first. It's okay. When you're working on yourself to get better, that's not selfish. That's being better for you and everybody around you. So you put your character first, and you make your talk match your walk. A different way of saying that is simply refuse to lie. Be a truth teller. And as you tell the truth about who you really are and what you really do uh, and, you know, the surrounding circumstances of your life, guess what? Those circumstances begin to change because you don't want to have to tell about the truth about you. And so actually your walk comes to match your talk and that's a good thing. Uh, Week three, Pastor Brandon talked to us about overcoming disconnection. And the way we do that is by loving our specific neighbors, and this requires seeing them, really actually knowing who they are, seeing them, and spending time with them. That's how you love your neighbor and overcome disconnection. Week four, we learned how to overcome pride. Uh, and Thomas Merton says it like this, Pride makes us artificial. It's humility that makes us real. And Jesus, of course, says it like this, All who exalt themselves will be humbled. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be at the head table and then asked to move down. He says, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, you don't have to brag about yourself. You can be a person of humility and let God raise you up. So, well, how do you do this in real life? Well, it could be as simple as you simply hold the door for others and you let them go in front of you in line. And then you just stay behind them in line. So in humility, let others go before you. And then if somebody wants to raise you up, then that's a great thing. And if not, we ought not be in that big of a hurry anyway. And then last week, we learned how to overcome burnout. And when we overcome burnout, what we're talking about is that God works through people almost always. Uh, Does God work in mysterious and miraculous ways? Sure, he does. But most of the time, God works through people. So what we want to do is we want to gather professional helpers, uh, doctors, medical doctors. right? So my first question, uh, if I need open heart surgery, is not how many Bible studies that surgeon goes to. It's did they go to medical school and do they know what they're doing? because God can work through anyone, anytime. And if they're a Christian, that's a bonus. That's a great thing. And I want a surgeon who believes in God and the miracles of health and all that. That's great, but I want a professional first. That's true for MDs and surgeons and psychotherapists and psychiatrists, as well as financial planners, right? So you need professional help in all these different areas of your life, physical, relational, emotional, psychological, financial, all these things. And so um, there's lots of help out there. I encourage you to listen to Jesus and let him guide you into that help, which will include other people. This week, as we come to the end of our Lenten season, we're going to learn how to overcome emptiness. Now, 3,000 years ago, before Jesus came in on Palm Sunday, there was another son of David known as Solomon, and he was the most powerful human alive. He was the wealthiest king that had ever lived. He was the wisest king that had ever lived, and he wrote the book wisdom literature of ecclesiastes he had everything he had multiple homes uh, and, and every food available if he wanted it he could eat it he had servants he had 700 wives and 300 concubines and you thought your marriage was complicated that's a lot of therapy i don't even know how to start or talk about that so he had more than enough let's just say that so solomon um, this son of David, and you'll notice that Jesus is also referred to as the son of David c- because he is. He's out of that same line. So Solomon says that you can have it all, and he did, and still be empty inside. He writes it like this. The words of the teacher, the son of David, Solomon, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity," says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. And the wind blows to the south and then goes round to the north. Round and round goes the wind. And all the streams, yes, they run to the sea, but the sea is not full. All things are wearisome. Will you say that with me? All things are wearisome. More than one can express, the eyes not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Maybe you've heard that. There's nothing new under the sun. It's already been thought of. It's already been done. It's already been sung. It's already been eaten. It's already been cooked that way. There's nothing new. It's just iteration upon iteration upon iteration, humanity after humanity after humanity, and it leads nowhere, he says. Now, what does that look like today? Well, in what I do for now more than 20 years, meeting thousands and thousands of people and trying to help them in their life and their real life today with Jesus and their spiritual life and in their relationships, I I see this uh, more and more often, uh, particularly around Edmond, Oklahoma. And that is that when you start out in your teens and your twenties, what you want and what you need, quite frankly, is more. And that starts the trap. What you need is more. You, you don't really have enough, and so you feel like you need some more, and so you get some more. Uh, by the way, if you wonder if you need some more, most people, actually about 90% of people, uh, if you ask them how much more do they need, you know what they say? They need 10% more. And it doesn't matter how much they make. That's still what they say. 10% more is what they believe will make them happy. So here's the thing. When you finally do make enough, enough cash, enough money, enough food, however you want to talk about it. When you make enough money, you want more square footage. Your kids are a little bigger. They need their own rooms. You, you know, your, your car, it needs to be a little bigger. You had a two-door, then you need a four-door, then you need an SUV because you know one of your neighbors is gonna have a gravel driveway. You need four-wheel drive or you might not get home. It's very important that you have more, a little bigger, a little more. Isn't that true? That's just what you need. Now. Sometimes if you move through your teens and your 20s and maybe your 30s and, and maybe you've moved up the ladder some, you have enough. Not only do you have enough, you have more. And once you have more, you know what you want then? You want better. Yep, I've seen it. Maybe it's happened to you too. Yep, better. After you have more than enough, you want an upgrade. So now it's not just that you've gone from two-door to four-door. You want a better model, right? So you used to have one kind of car. Now you have a better kind of car you used to have one kind of house but now not only do you have a little bigger house you have a better house it's not just more it's better and you like it because you like better you like more you like better we all do it's just who we are you have a bigger TV a higher resolution TV a better car a better home you name it you just want it a little better more better and then finally if you get more you have enough you get better. You want different because everybody's got more. Everybody's got a little better, but not you. You're special. You're one of a kind. While others get more or better, you are unique. You are special. You are rare. You are custom. Yes, custom. You know that bottle of wine that used to be just fine? Oh, no, no, no. Everybody's got that. You need the one that's only, you know, there's only 200 bottles of those. May, that's special. That's unique. That's only for you. You know that car that everybody else drives. No, no, you can't get this here uh, in the States. Or you can't get that here. You, that's special ordered. It's custom. Oh, no, I don't, I'm not a, I don't live in a house that everybody lives in. I have a custom home. right? Or this is a custom shirt or a custom suit. Or it's special. It's unique to me. Friends, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this. And you know what happens when you fall into the trap? Today's trap. Now, if you have enough, so you want more. You have more. That leads to better. You actually have better, and so you go to different. And you know what, if you add all those up together, you know what that leads to? There's only one thing left after different, and that's despair. That's just how that game goes. And it's a game that you lose. We all lose at that game, even the richest man alive in all of history. He writes it like this. He said, I said to myself, Solomon does, come now. I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But again, this also was vanity. I said of laughter. I mean, he had like comics, like jokesters, right? It's mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He tried it all. Laughter and folly and wine and food and pleasure. No, nope. So then he goes to work, right? Workaholism He says, I made great works I and mean, look what I did. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. He could buy people and had slaves who were born in my house, both those he bought and those who were born into a system. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone who had been before me in Jerusalem in all time. I also had gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings. He had the most money of anybody ever. And of the provinces, I got, he had his own singers. I mean, his, he had his own voice competition, right? Both men and women and delights of the flesh, and many concubines. We'll not go into that here. You'll have to talk about that later at home. So I became great and surpassed all who were for me in Jerusalem. He had more. He had better. He had different. He was one of a kind. He was at the very top. Also, all my wisdom remained with me. He was the smartest guy in the room. People from all over the world would come to sit at the feet of Solomon to learn from him. And they were amazed. And then he says this. Read it with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. There wasn't anything in the world he hadn't tried. He had it all. There was nothing he lacked. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I'd spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I hated life i hated life i wonder if you feel like that sometimes we are in one of the richest countries in the richest moments of all of history when it's cold outside we make our our homes warm when it's hot outside we make them cool we can eat almost anything from anywhere on the world at an incredible discount many of us don't even cook our own food most days we are some of the wealthiest people on the planet to have ever lived in the history of the world and like Solomon, if we're not careful, we will simply hate our life. Why? Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity. It didn't mean anything. It was a chasing after the wind. Like trying to grab smoke in the wind. You see, Solomon got to the very top and it was empty, friends. It was empty. I love the way Carrie Newhoff says it. Um, in one of his books, he says this, if your life is about what's in it for you, no church will be good enough, no group will be good enough, and God will seem only as good as he's been to you lately. Because if it's all about you, it's just a chasing after the wind. It's simply going to lead to despair. But don't despair, friends. We are a people of hope. A life worth living comes from a different son of David, another son of David. His name is Jesus, and he changes everything. Roughly a thousand years after Solomon, Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Yep, it's, it's nothing. It's just like Solomon said, but, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you give your life to Jesus, everything changes. You will have life in this life and the next. This is Palm Sunday, friends, and I, I want you to see that Jesus is choosing you over Himself. And it starts as He turns His face towards Jerusalem, the capital city. The Scripture says it like this, From that time on, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then Jesus told His disciples, If any want to become My followers... Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's our calling as followers of Jesus. We are to take up our own burdens and to follow Jesus wherever He leads us. Say this with me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. These are the very words of God Himself and the person of Jesus Christ. For what will it profit them, profit us, if we gain the whole world but forfeit our soul? Our very life, Jesus says. Or what will they give in return for their life, for their soul? This world is much greater than about this life, about this pleasure, about what you want in any given moment, or even about what I want, or even what we might want together. You see, friends, in the act of surrender and giving our life to Jesus, we find life. In the act of surrender, of giving up our lives to Jesus, we find find life. Whoever has the son has life. If you find Jesus, you find life. He came that we might have life and have it to the full abundantly, Jesus says. And you might say, hold on a minute. Hold hold on a minute, Pastor Mark. This is terrifying. I, you, you mean, you, you're asking me not to control my life anymore, to just hand it over. Yes. And you know why? Because Karen Newoff says it like this. He says, the only thing more terrifying than dying to yourself is living for yourself because that is chasing the wind. Living for yourself is meaningless. It ends in nothing. When you get to the end of you, you know what you get? Nothing. But if you live for Jesus, for God himself, you are in a great adventure that never ends. When you give your life to Jesus, who made you, right, who placed you in your mother's womb, you find the real you. You can't really know yourself if you don't know God. That's an important thing for you to know. The one who made you and loves you perfectly has a wonderful life for you. And Jesus didn't just talk about this, He lived it out before us so we knew and can know what this looks like. Jesus had a mission bigger than Himself. In Luke chapter 19, the Scripture tells us this about Jesus on this last week of His life, known as Holy Week, that we're entering right now. When Jesus had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, just say, The Lord needs it. And when Jesus rode on that donkey into the capital city, it was a death sentence. The moment that He got on the donkey, that was the beginning of the end of Him, of His earthly life. scripture continues. He says, as Jesus was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees, these are the religious people, the ones who knew the law and told people what the law meant. They were in the crowd and they said to Jesus, they said, teacher, order your disciples to stop They did not want Jesus to be praised or glorified. They would have none of it. He was a threat and an affront to their way of life. To Rome, because he was saying he was a king. um, Not Caesar. um, Not Herod. There were other political forces at play. And when Jesus' name was being lifted up, it was a threat to other systems of power. And they wanted no part of it. They told Jesus to stop. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. They didn't understand that Jesus was God himself. The heaven, the moon, and the stars will celebrate God himself. And by getting on that donkey, Jesus was fulfilling the prophet Zechariah's words. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And it's real easy for us to miss this. But friends, the prophet said the Messiah was coming. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Read this with me. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious as he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that is exactly what Jesus did. And you may not know this, but this is the only time that the Bible records Jesus on a donkey. You think about all the trips from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. uh, That's many days journey. And It's never recorded that he was on a donkey just this one time well why now to show the world that he was the king of kings and lord of lords and that he was ready to fulfill his destiny for you and for me that we might live but it would require his death his sacrifice for him to live and die for something greater than his own pleasure or his own wants or even his own needs and so after palm sunday Jesus has the Last Supper on Thursday at the Passover meal. And then he goes out into the garden to pray, as was his custom. And in the garden, Jesus kneels down and he prays, Not my will, but yours be done. This is the prayer of life. This is where it all turns. It's no longer I hate my life, but I give my life for something greater. And so when we do that, when we say to Jesus, have your way with me, not my will, but yours be done, we are in line with Jesus' prayers, with his life, with his example, with his teaching. So Jesus came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And then Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He he didn't want to die. But he was obedient even to death on a cross. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And that is the prayer of the faithful. Kerry says it like this. There's a, there's a promise and a blessing under this. If you want to beat emptiness, find a mission that's bigger than you. When you die to yourself, something far greater will emerge. And we know this and we trust in this because we are an Easter people. When Jesus is placed in the grave, that's not the end of the story. We worship a Savior, not a martyr. Because we know and we worship today because of the day that's coming at Easter just one week from now. I hope you'll join us for that either in person at 915 or 1045 or right here online. And so, to overcome emptiness this week, our action steps are these. First of all, invite Jesus to be the real leader of your life. Set yourself aside. Get off of the throne. It belongs to Jesus. He's the only right and honorable and good king. None of us have a place there, but we have to remove ourselves. Jesus will not pull us off the throne. We have to do it ourselves. We have to decide to move ourselves down and say, not my will, but yours be done. That's where the miracles happen. Invite Jesus to be the real leader of your life. Secondly, we have to get honest and ask, which kingdom am I really living for? In religious language, it would be, is it mine or thine? But, you know, you might think of it like this. Which kingdom am I living for, really? Is it, is it for me? Is it for me and my family and what I want and, and my plans and my agenda? Or is it for Jesus? Is it for God's? Am I led by myself, by my own voice, or the voice of the Holy Spirit? It's a really important question. we need to invite Jesus back on the throne, to be the King of kings and Lord of lords, especially of our own lives and of the world. And then finally, trust God. Once you invite Jesus to the throne, trust God, trust Jesus to resurrect your life this Holy Week. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And you can trust your life to Him. In your living and in your dying, your life is secure. Not in your own smarts, not in your own agenda And all of God's people say, Amen.